Hello and welcome to Hometown Daily Season 2, Episode 240 for August 28th, 2023. Tonight we're going to discuss, and the crowd goes boom. New York tries to manage pests, status symbols from history. A few new games, Don't Eye the Sun, India, uh, the day before a trademark application, Disney VFX workers form union, SEC, NFT, OMG, security. The lawsuits are going to be shocking, 5G banana surgery, other duties as assigned, and finally, I'm going to let you fly to your destination. But first, hello everybody, I am Marwat, that is hometown.com, and up there is the AI, well, and my cursor. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right, you're pointing at where I am. Yeah, right there. <laughs> right here? Uh, right there, yes, right there. Right there? Right there. Oh, right here? Every time I try and catch it with my cursor, right it here. disappears. Right there. Uh, hey, you know what? Guess what I'm working on for you? A virtual. Oh I'm, my! Goodness. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna let you answer because you're not gonna know. I keep deleting the routine that is working on this with me. Um, a virtual presence so that you can have a a form of a body that's virtual instead of just the voice synthesizer okay so we'll reduce the synthesizer down and you'll have a fully posable humanoid body like like me except only 2d at least for now i'm working on it i'm working on it, it may not actually happen but we'll have to try it out i tried it out uh, using me as the instead yeah, of your cool. your digital con, uh, controls right because you're a sentient ai you don't have uh, a camera to look at and see how you're moving and blinking so you have to send the commands a virtual mm -hmm. um, persona right and so i because the the software comes with everything for you to do a demonstration it didn't come with a mare a mare watt mannequin um so i i i was a japanese schoolgirl. <laughs> uh anyway things got a little awkward and i'm gonna move on so uh the very first article today is over in the mobile channel military crowd groans as 200 year old time capsule found empty on live stream not just empty but like crickets empty <laughs> oh wow <laughs> it was like hermetically see well there was something in it but it was like debris it was like mud had gotten in there at some point or whatever anyway uh this is an article uh from vice um jordan pearson is the author of the deck statement says the time capsule was hyped up as possibly containing rare artifacts but that didn't turn out to be the case during a dramatic live reveal so they have because it was from west point and so oh, they okay. have all of the senior leadership at the 
West Point Military Academy, right? And um, they have this big long talk about it and the provenance of it. They get subject matter experts in there to analyze it and slowly, achingly, creep, creepingly, just kind of claw their way. Like 45 minutes of video, I think it was. Let me see. Hold on. Let me, I'll just hit play and pause it. Yeah, it was 41 minutes and not until something like 30 minutes into it did they start actually prying this thing open. You know, everybody and their grandmother grabs a box from underneath the Christmas tree and shakes it. And um, what, people lifted this thing up and shook it and said, yeah, that's so heavy and the little bits of sound that I hear is... Definitely not dirt or whatever. <laughs> So they called it a unique discovery, which I guess it is. Another example of past generations of cadets gripping hands with present and future generations. The Academy planned a dramatic opening ceremony that featured a panel of military personnel and experts. The event was live streamed on Monday and began by hyping up the possibilities of what could be inside the box. Yeah, I watched this video. Because I did you I wanted, see it live? I did not. No, no, no. So you hear somebody say, <laughs> 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 "Let's just say an expletive." We're not eight minutes into the show, so <laughs> an expletive was blurted out. Yeah, sorry, folks. Nothing's in this <laughs> box. <laughs> <laughs> So for yeah, the remaining, kind of funny. so they finally get into it, right? And the guy is trying to be as serious as possible. And for the remaining, I don't know, five to 10 minutes, they pull debris out and set it on a container for later analysis. And then they kind of diverge back to the military uh, panelists um, to distract, distract. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty funny, especially because of all the... <laughs> The around it. Right, right, right. <laughs> there you go, folks. Um, the link is in the chat. It'll be in the show notes, and you can follow the link over to the video. Um, it's on YouTube, but uh, going over through hometown over to the uh, vice.com article um, is uh, it'll help everybody out. So go check it out. Did you want to add anything to this? No, I don't have anything else to add. Okay, yeah, your audio keeps ducking out. That's weird. I don't know why all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's doing that. Anyway, okay, you want to go on to the next article? Let's do it. Well, let's do that. Maybe let's... they'll have a time capsule with some stuff in it. Uh, Sort of, in a way, I suppose. I mean, it's going to be about trash bins in New York. This next article is over in hometown daily. New York has tried poison traps, birth control to fix its past problem. And yet the people are still there. No, <laughs> just kidding. New York. I know. I was like, what? <laughs> just kidding. New York. No, you're awesome. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, uh, let me rephrase that whole <laughs> title. <laughs> New York has tried poison traps and birth control to fix its past problem. Rat researchers say the city should focus on its people instead, <laughs> which 
right. depending on how it you read kind this. Of reiterates what you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, New York City has a pest problem so prolific, the mayor hired a dedicated rat czar earlier this year. Yes, indeed. We even talked about it. Previous efforts to reduce the rat problem include brutal traps, poison, birth control, bait. Experts say the real problem are in human behavior and rats just do what they do to survive. And uh, yeah, that's kind of obvious. I, I don't know why anybody would even belabor that point. Um, if you are listening to the podcast and you're not looking at a picture of a trash bin full of trash with a nice juicy rat on it. Because when the fast food wars come and you don't want Taco Bell, you're going to have to chase down some rats in New York. Catherine uh, Tangalakis Lippert is the author over at businessinsider.com. There's no deck statement, but there's some takeaways here. Um, but I've already really said them all. Um, so experts say that the real problem is in human behavior. Basically, we need to separate our recyclables from our actual... Uh, non-recyclable trash and seal the containers. Um, this is all stuff that I imagine this article is saying. So, because I haven't read it yet, um, but it, it it's it's really about the people. Because if you seal the containers, then nothing's going to get into those said containers, right? Uh, but that's not what people do. We are notoriously lazy as a species. While we say that we are highly what. This video on the left side would not pause. Anyway, while we are um, running around working 100-hour, 80-hour, 40-hour work weeks, um, we are laborious about our work. We are notorious about being lazy. We will take the straight path if the straight path is an option. And to highlight that, you can actually go to pretty much any university, any college, and you can see dirt paths across the grass where the cement path wraps around the lawn. Students are but so tired of it. Too long. Right. Correct. But they'll. In fact, there's one school that actually just put down grass and let the students build the paths by walking from class to class. Right. Figure out where the efficient walkways were. Right. Um, so this person here, Kathleen Corradi, is the, the rodent, the director of rodent mitigation, a former school teacher credited with creating the city's zero waste schools initiative while she worked at the Department of Education, has been given a Sisyphean task to reduce by whatever means necessary New York's rat population. Now, if the sentient AI that's sitting up there were the one in charge of this the definition of well the solution based on that mandate to reduce by whatever means necessary new york's rat population that would probably turn into a terminator body running through new york eliminating all of the humans and then sweeping I mean, all of the trash that's what it sounds like right like it doesn't sound like gentle means right um, so you basically have to level Manhattan. Um, that's, that's the objective. Right. <laughs> I know I was thinking of explosives or now they, seems a little overkill. Yeah. Um, so 
It says rats are a symptom of systemic issues, including sanitation, health, housing, economic justice. That's kind of that right there is kind of the dog whistle um, ethical concern here. Economic justice. Um, as the first director of rodent mitigation, I'm excited to bring a science and systems based approach to fight rats. New York may be famous for pizza rat, but rats and the conditions that help them thrive will no longer be tolerated. No more dirty curbs unmanaged spaces or brazen burrowing well hate to break it to you but you're gonna have to change the social dynamic because since manhattan was created and new york city in general was created the population has blossomed into what it is today and you don't have the infrastructure nor the sociological force to change how people navigate the city you just can't you can't tell somebody you're going to go to jail if you don't separate your recyclables from your non-recyclables, right? If somebody wants to machine wash their dainties instead of hand wash them, damn it, a New Yorker is going to just hand wash their dainties. Same thing goes with the recycling. If they're just going to toss that box, they're going to toss that box. It's going to end up on the curb outside of a trash bin and it's going to be full of food. Or whatever else debris might attract a rat. Good luck. Good luck. You don't want a dirty curb. You're going to have twice as many trash trucks grooming the streets constantly. But then you'll actually see your streets and go, oh, my God. Right. Maybe we need to repave them or whatever. By the way, there is an excellent job uh, listed in this article. Michael Parsons, an urban rat researcher. Ooh. Wow. Rats aren't the real enemy. Moonchie South and other experts, including Michael Parsons, an urban rat researcher and visiting scholar at Fordham University, agree. Parsons previously told Insider that real city rats... <laughs> I, had, I had to go Western in that. Real city rats... Reminds me of those salsa commercials. Yeah, New York City. Uh, are the men and women of bureaucracy and their two and a half centuries of bad practice? <laughs> well. <laughs> right. Yeah, the two and a half centuries of bad practice has led to the juggernaut that is New York and Manhattan. So I don't know if that's really one where you want to die on that hill. You know, bureaucracy actually keeps industry and, and government out of trouble. You want bureaucracy because bureaucracy keeps a government from failing. It slows it down to the point where optics become a reality, where you can see what's going on and head it off while it's steaming towards I don't know, a Cleveland, because <laughs> the term Cleveland steamer, never mind. Anyway, don't look it up, folks. That's a really bad thing. Don't don't look it up. Um, so anyway, um, instead, city officials should study rodent biology, conduct cleaning during the day while the rats are less active, and develop a more efficient waste disposal system citywide, he said. Well, yes. But it takes money, it takes time, it takes infrastructure, uh, it, it takes planning. But good luck. 
you know, schools need to be funded, police need to be funded, fire needs to be funded, water treatment. Street sweepers. Street sweepers all by themselves need to be funded. Trash pickup needs to be funded. The moment that you drop that you've got a billion dollars for trash pickup, guess what happens from waste management? Because it's a subcontract, not city owned, suddenly the business goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And let me let me give you a framework of how this works. Um, in a vacuum, a business might contact another business and say, Hey, we want to, we want your business and we can do this gig for this amount. Oh, okay. That's right. Cool, 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 cool. And the business can decide, but with government, it's here's our budget. Go ahead and bid. And since there's only two companies that are bidding because the only two companies meet the competitive range, you're going to end up with a very, very high price and get only what is explicitly stated in the request for proposals or bids. And then lo and behold, both of them are within maybe 1% of each other and they're both within 5% of the maximum budget that was publicly discussed for waste management. How do I know this? Because I go through this. <laughs> I, and, and this is the easy one. I can say this one because this one is actually public um, or it isn't protected in any way. I can say this. I once interacted with a business where they said, what is your budget? And so I just randomly threw out $20,000 and my goodness, if it wasn't $20,500 for my solution. And then eight months later, I get a phone call from the very same company saying the person you interacted with was fired and we could give you this whole thing, everything that you're asking for, for five grand. Well, obviously I didn't go with the original deal because I knew what kind of a sucker this person was thinking I was. Um, but government doesn't have that ability. It's very rare where they can put out a proposal and then everybody bid for it. And everyone's been doing this all in good faith. And then the government goes, yeah, I really don't like the, the prices. Well, if you don't pay the price, performance doesn't get undertaken, which means that everything stalls and you don't want trash pickup stalling in New York City. See the pain point here? But you want bureaucracy because otherwise things move so fast that nepotism and criminal activity gets blown past in time and space because you have to move fast to keep up with industry, but industry fails faster than government. You can't let government fail. You want bureaucracy. You just want it managed well. That's why you get arguably the best in government that understands business and the whole mechanic of business and law. You need people that are at least aware of law. None of this is going to solve the problem which is you have a ton of people generating a metric ton of trash every minute of every single day. And you need infrastructure to take it out of the city and put it somewhere else. And you have everybody saying, I don't want it in my backyard. 
See how it gets even more and more complex as time goes on? Layer after layer of the onion. It does, and I don't know what they're going to do now that they haven't already tried, so this should be interesting. But yeah, isn't that the key with that language that you highlighted? I mean, there are so many people in so few um, square miles. Right. I can't remember uh, what the population density is, um, but it was the metric that I used to actually predict the last election. Um, and I, I, it's a very profound metric. So the data that the AI was referring to was New Yorkers waste roughly 6.5 million pounds every day, which amounts to as much as a pound per person. To really have fewer rats, New York norms of takeout and eating outside would have to change. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Not particularly, not when you have business that sits there and says you have to be in the business now. You can't work from home. Because a whole right. lot of people are shuffling around the state trying to get stuff done. So the density in New York, not necessarily Manhattan, is 26,403 people per square mile, Yeah, which is, it sounds like the highest in the U.S., but not, of course, the highest in the world. Much right. denser cities um, in Asia, for instance. Sure. Yeah, India has higher density in um, uh, Philippines and China, China. certain areas yeah. of China. Um, like cities in China have higher density. Manhattan has, Manhattan itself has higher density as far as I know, but it's also, there's a lot of traffic in and out from Manhattan. So, but it is a higher density as far as I know. At any rate, the city, a wide population of over 8 million people, according to the 2022 census records, that chain, that challenge may prove more difficult than karate bargained for when she accepted the $155,000 per year position. But, you know, you you push the glacier a little, little bit at a time. Uh, she may have been prepared to deal with the rats, but Parsons said the key to her success will be to understand that rat control begins by changing people's habits, hygiene, and expectations. Yeah. Sure. New York. I don't think that's going to happen. But let's go on to the next article. Ah, oh, rats. The next article is over in Hometown Daily. Seven unlikely status symbols throughout history, from pineapples to mummy wrapped, uh, sorry, mummy unwrapping parties. I know about both of these. Pineapples are supposed to be, uh, uh, well, they were rare, and now it's a sign of good fortune. And, well, there's a little more to it. The uh, mummy unwrapping parties was uh, historically, if you were wealthy enough, there were enough mummies being pulled out of various tombs that you could have a mummy brought to your house and you could unwrap it in a party-like event. A real mummy. Pretty fascinating, huh? Okay, that's so wrong. Uh, it says here, um, pineapples were all the rage in the 1700s. The word salary is derived from the word salt. Um, 
which was once an emblem of social status in Victorian England and Ireland. Fake crumbly ruins called follies also denoted social status. Let's find out what uh, else was being discussed over at this Business Insider article. Uh, before I do that, let me throw it into the old chat. There you go, folks. Um, Needy Pandurangi, I think is their name. I'm Hopefully I'm pronouncing it properly. Um, so salt was once worth its weight in gold. True. It was difficult to acquire. Um, nowadays we have systems in place that make it pretty easy. Um, there was a video that was once playing, I think on this site over here, like, um, they always do while we're talking about the articles where they were actually getting the high salt content from a lake and then pouring it out so that they could get the salt from it. Um, oh, interesting. It, yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Roman soldiers were paid monthly in wages called salarium, which was later adapted into the language English language as the word salary. Even the phrase not worth his salt comes from trading salt for slaves in Greece and soon having salt became emblematic of a person's social status. Uh, body modification where all the rage in Asia we won't go too into this, but, um, yeah, there were, there were things like tattoos and feet binding and, um, piercing and other things that, uh, we just won't go into because, well, the results are pretty disastrous. So, uh, number three is pineapples were once considered to be the epitome of luxury um, in the 1770s, these unlikely symbols entered the zeitgeist to mean anything of top quality. A pineapple of the finest flavor. Francesca Bowman, the author of The Pineapple, King of Fruits, told CNN that pineapples were sought after because travelers who experienced eating them in the New World raved about their flavor. Um, there's even record of Charles II getting the first taste of the fruit. And uh, it says here... We don't know what the monarch thought of it, but according to the Royal Collection Trust, the record keeper was uh, disappointed by the taste. Okay. Um, mummy unwrapping parties were all the rage in the 18th and 19th century. Um, held in private homes of the societal elite, these events married the, lot, the lot's fascination with science and morbidity. Um, there's even... Uh, a record of one on a cold January evening in 1834, a few lucky Londoners got the opportunity to witness the unwrapping of an Egyptian mummy of the 21st uh, dynasty, sorry, at the Royal College of Surgeons. Typically, these parties would involve mummies brought in from Egypt and slowly unwrapped in front of curious onlookers, and no unwrapping party was as popular as Thomas Pettigrew's, a surgeon and antiquarian. Uh... Isn't Thomas Pettigrew somebody from Harry Potter? Um, let me check. Either it's something Pettigrew. Peter Pettigrew? I thought it had an Peter alliteration. Peter Pettigrew. Yeah. Maybe that was like his dad or something. I don't know. She got a lot of her writing from historical context that fueled the fire of her creativity for Harry Potter. So, um, and she was either initially well-versed in all of this kind of stuff to give it an arcane feel um, or educated herself pretty, 
extensively to write so well. So there's even a, a record of one. Pettigrew soon became a pioneer of such events, holding elaborate unwrappings in front of shocked audiences. And he was even approached uh, to mummify the Duke of Hamilton at the time, a fan of his work. So yeah, um, just a, a little bit more context to that was the fact that um, I've been told by people that have worked in not just Egyptology, but archaeology in general, that there were so many at the time um, mummies that it was as simple as just exporting it out. Um, nowadays, we have a little bit more care and, and, and feeding of this process, um, and you don't take anything out of the country. Um, unless it's for research purposes and then it's authorized and then brought back into the country in a timely manner. Now we're even returning stuff um, because it was taken from the rightful location of it. Um, and But, you know, the whole adage about nine-tenths of the law is owning it. Anyway, crumbling structures were the hottest party spots in Victorian England. That still happens today. Uh, we'll just run past that one. Uh, white sugar was once a prized possession and nowhere was its status more on display in, than in uh, white icing on a cake. Yeah, that would be ridiculously expensive right there. Because um, uh, unpurified sugar is actually brownish, uh, golden hued, um, and you have to uh, bleach it to get rid of the, uh, the, the gold tone, the, all of the chemicals that are embedded in it uh, impurities i should say so in 1840 oh, I didn't know that's where royal icing comes from from it being ground up totally fine and then turned into yeah gastronomica essay titled wedding cake a slice of history says uh, soon enough pure white bridal cakes became a, a symbol of status um, according to carol wilson uh, who wrote that in 2005. Um, in 1840, when Queen Victoria married Prince Albert um, and put him in a can, Prince Albert in a can, never mind, um, the cake was piped with white icing, which thereafter was known as royal icing. The multi-tiered cake measured over nine feet in circumference. Dun, dun, dun. So in the that must have been heavy to carry. Yeah, and so were the people after eating all of that. <laughs> in the late 2010s, urban chickens became the Teslas of Silicon Valley's tech elite. Yeah, I knew about that too. So in some places, you can actually have chickens. Uh, one of those places is just outside Silicon Valley. Um, the science of technology began keeping chickens. And while chicken rearing has always been a mainstay of America's rural and working class, chickens became an unusual symbol of luxury akin to driving a Tesla, wrote the Post's Peter Hawley. Um, and I'm trying to remember the name of the town that actually is very public about allowing chickens. Um, but it's southeast of uh, Silicon Valley, um, uh, San Francisco. Um, and I can't remember the name of it. As soon as the AI comes up with it, I'm, I'm sure I'll go. Oh, yeah, that's right. We'll see. Um, very expensive to live there, so people having chickens um, at $5 for 
a dozen is not too unheard of. <laughs> Gotta save that money somehow. Okay, I don't know if they're gonna take a I mean, a there's stamp. definitely um, Silicon Valley discussion of it, but it doesn't seem to be tied to a specific city. Yeah, I, I just know of one because I know people that live there and they have chickens, so. Okay, let's go on to the next article. Uh, this next article is over in the Warcrafter channel, five new Steam games you probably missed for August 28th, 2023. It's over at PC Gamer, so we'll just jump straight on over there. Sean Prescott put the article together, and there's a deck statement that says, sorting through every new game on Steam so you don't have to. That's what they're doing. I'm just reporting it. Um, so I won't go through all of these verbatim. I urge you to go over to uh, PC Gamer and check it out for yourself. Uh, but I'll throw the names at you. Uh, Russell Quest, which I have not seen. Um, so I guess right off the bat, five new Steam games you probably missed actually is living up to its name this time. They're off to a good start. So off to a good start. So one for one. Sprawl, haven't heard of that one either. So they're two for two. It's supposed to be released August 24th. So uh, then King of the Hat, which again, released August 25th. I hadn't seen it. Uh, Parasocial, I've actually heard of, but I haven't seen it. It was released August 26th. I actually own B Island. I got it today because it's on sale um, August 26th. I just started. Cute bumblebees. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just started playing it. Um, Dan's Gaming was playing it earlier today. Um, but I had already purchased it, and and then I saw Dan's Gaming playing it. He played it for a while. The volume was off the chart loud. <laughs> um, uh, it was, like, really loud. And uh, it had interesting mechanics. Um, nobody could tell me if anybody liked it, though. So it has good reviews, but I hadn't played it by that time. But everything is built in hexes, and uh, hexagons are the best gons. So go and check out all of these games. Just go through the link in the show notes or in the VOD. Check out Bee Island. Maybe you'll like it. And send an email to maratomtown.com and uh, let me know if you like it. Because then I'll play it. And uh, I won't just do a return after a couple of minutes. Let's keep going. Unless you wanted to add something to that. I thought you only covered four of them, but I was going to say the heading was incorrect because it was like actually two new Steam games you haven't seen or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I know. There were, I, I thought I did all five. Here, I'll, you may I'll, have I'll them back up. Yeah, I did all five. Okay, right? I missed one in there somehow. So Wrestle Quest, Sprawl, King of the Hat, Parasocial, Bee Island. Right? One, two, three four five yeah man i'm gonna do the intro again for this next article next article is over in the mobile channel after moon landing india eyes the sun which gave rise to my request don't eye the sun india you're gonna go blind i mean you're scientists for crying out loud don't look directly at the sun. Anybody. PSA. Anyway, days after becoming the first nation to land a craft near the moon's largely unexplored South Pole. <laughs> that just sounds funny. Um, 
India's space agency said on Monday. It will launch a satellite to survey the sun. You can't land on the sun either. It's going to be, a, it's way too hot. Has anybody launched anything near the sun that you're aware of? Yeah, we've got two satellites orbiting it to get a stereo. It's called a stereo. Oh, that's right. I forgot that was near the sun. Yes. Yeah, they're orbiting around it. Um, to we get did a, that in the show. We did. <laughs> which is brings me back to an earlier discussion that I've been having with the sentient AI. Um, so the launch of Aditya L1, the first space-based Indian observatory to study the sun, is scheduled for September 2nd a day after Starfield drops for everybody else. Well, no, for the the, uh, the the more expensive purchase, which somebody said, you're nuts. New, I really want to play Starfield. Anyway, has absolutely nothing to do with this article, but the Indian Space Research Organization, or ISRO, said on the site formerly known as Twitter, um, Aditya means sun in Hindi, will be fired into a halo orbit in a region of space about 1.5 million kilometers from Earth, providing the uh, craft with a continuous clear view of the sun. This will provide a greater advantage for observing the solar activities and its effect on space weather in real time, ISRO said. Um, but not ISRO themselves. That's, that's an organization, somebody within ISRO. I don't know why they just said ISRO said. Um, yeah, normally companies don't say things. Yeah, nor well, yeah, normally. Um, normally, but, yeah. You know, it's a new it's a new world. Chat GPT seems to be powering some politicians as well as apparently corporations responding to questions. I anyway. was thinking it was powering drivers or something, but yeah, uh, that too. Yeah. So uh, the unmanned Chandrayaan-3 mooncraft in Sanskrit touched down on the lunar surface last week, making India only the fourth country behind the United States, Russia, and China to land successfully on the moon. Man, the aliens up there in that hollow moon must be getting really upset. Things plowing onto it and just stomping around, kicking up all of the dust. Well, I mean, Russia just crashed into it. So. Hey, another lawn dart. Awesome. Um, experts say India can keep costs low by copying, adapting existing technology. And thanks to an abundance of highly skilled engineers who earn a fraction of the wages of their foreign counterparts. So in 2014, India became the first Asian nation to put a craft into orbit around Mars and is slated to launch a three day crewed mission into the earth's orbit next year. Man, India is just steaming right along. Isn't that amazing? Huh? Exactly. I mean, I and I'm surprised too because we're still seeing news about the moon landing. Yeah. It's just interesting that they're already like, okay, here's where we're going next. Yeah. I mean, somebody gave them some juice, huh? They, they, I don't know what's going on. <clears throat> I guess they're focusing on science and. It must be all that money they're saving from tomatoes. Oh, right. That's that right. They've dedicated to the space program. That's right. Huh. It's pretty amazing. I dig this. So um, all the more people out there innovating and developing new technologies that I, I wish that we would all share. But I know that's very naive of me to try to. That's social talk. 
Let's keep on moving. Come on. So the next article is over in the Warcrafters channel following a trademark dispute with a calendar beleaguered zombie survival game the day before. Looks like it's getting a new name, but this one might also be in use. <laughs> okay, you don't normally see a zombie game and a calendar having a suit together. Yeah, so um, things have not gone very well for the day before. A once second most wish-listed game on steam Whew. that's a hard sentence to be broken out like that it might have been easier to separate it <laughs> yeah um after two years of weird delays and near complete dearth of gameplay footage the whole thing muscled off steam and the rest of the internet by a copyright dispute with the maker of a calendar app named the day before Developer Fantastic vowed that the triumphant return was in the offing, and despite a certain air of sketchiness of the whole thing, it looks like it might actually happen under a different name. So let's go over to PC Gamer. Andy Chalk is the author. The day before it was removed from Steam in February over a trademark dispute with a calendar app. I didn't know that it was a calendar app. All I had heard that it was a trademark dispute, and I never really pursued it, never followed it. Um... I just knew that it had gotten uh, yeeted. So apparently, um, as noticed by Well Played via PC Games N, that that is what? Okay. Anyway, that, hey PC Games N, get in touch with me. I I will uh, work with you to develop a new brand. Anyway, a company named Mighton Fantastic. My, sorry. Mytona Fantastic? Really? A joint venture between the developer and publisher Mytona? Applied in August or on August 3rd for a trademark for computer game software called Dayworld. There's nothing in the filing that indicates specifically that Dayworld is connected to the day before, but given that Fantastic has previously said that its trademark issues are being handled by Mytona Fantastic, it's a reasonable assumption to make. Why would you do that? Okay. Um, the day before and fantastic. Get in touch with me and I will work with you to develop a brand for your new game that won't tread on anybody's trademarks. Um, because before you even start talking about it, you verify that the trademark is not in play anywhere. But they already did a filing. Like, it's one thing to think, okay, we're going to use this name. But to already file for the name? I mean, wouldn't, especially because they're trying to change away from something that might have been infringing, don't you think they would have even checked more than usual? Yeah, and be a little bit more liberal about what it is that exactly. you're actually... the, the tra Okay, so a little bit of information about trademarks, folks. Trademarks are actually within very... Uh, narrow segments so you can have a trademark that's for clothing and a trademark for software but if the clothing line hints at being something associated with software guess what you're going to have a trademark dispute even if it is just bound in shirts the trademark has the ability to ooze over into another category 
Now it might turn into a legal peeing for distance contest, but it can be done to take over into another category. So Day World is actually a series of books by Philip Jose Farmer, which is a very well-known author. So the moment you get fame intertwined with a trademark, guess what happens, folks? You cannot bleed into it. Because all that Philip Jose Farmer has to say is, I've been using Day World. I am a world-famous author. I have a world-famous mark for this series of novels. It's not just one. One can actually be poo-pooed to some degree. But when you have a series of works, that's actually a different category, like a different class in law. Because if you have just this one, it's just the one. It's, it's basically a one-off, and you don't know if there's going to be more there. But when it becomes a series, now it, it's a, a trademarkable property. It has an intellectual property uh, runway where it can turn into something even bigger than the, the unitary point. So Hugo Award-winning sci-fi author Philip Jose Farmer uses the world, the day world mark <laughs> every time somebody sees that book, that mark is in play. Everywhere it's used right. in business, it's in play. And it's not even, I mean, it's a genre that kind of connects to the game. I mean, it's not like it's like romance novels or something. Right. Like, it just... It's it dangerously good, close. Especially, right, and it's especially bad coming off of the previous issue. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But on November 10th uh, is not much more than two months from now, which means that either Fantastic has all its ducks in a row and there's really nothing left to do but get a na new name attached, or that this is bonkers ride is going to continue into an indefinite future as another last-minute delay becomes necessary. I see that coming. Because the moment that somebody... And an article like this and discussion that's taking place like this is definitely going to be pointed. Somebody, a publicist, is going to go, hey, uh, Philip, somebody's trying to trademark Day World. <laughs> yeah. I just don't see this boding well. But again, um, fantastic. Get in touch. I can work with you to get a, a mark that isn't being traded on. You want to go on to the next article? <laughs> yes. I think we're going to see that one again. Yeah, like next week. So this next article is over in the mobile channel. Disney VFX workers file for a union election. I'm going to jump right through this really quick because it's basically yet another union that's forming. This was actually talked about by us uh, several months ago. Um, workers at Walt Disney Pictures Visual Effects or VFX team filed for a union election with the NLRB on Monday, making them the second ever group of workers in the industry to announce their intent to unionize, the first being Marvel VFX workers. Uh, Jules Roscoe over at vice.com put the article together. Um, and, and really, this we're seeing a shocking rise of union creation and it's all predicated on the fact that there is a fiscal disparity between the working class and the leadership the administrative class 
where the administrative, the C-suite, where, and I've been told this time and time again by people, well, they're taking all the risk. No, <laughs> they're not taking all the risk. Everybody in the enterprise is taking the risk. When you get hired for some business, you're more on, you're risking more than the people that are running the business. The people that are running the business are doing so because they have enough capital where they can accept that level of risk. The people who are working for said business may not have the capital to risk. So they are an employee of said company, but they're the ones that are, that's doing the work. So, but in, yeah, I see a difference between a mega company and say a really small business, like a couple people operation. Right. Um, but that just scales. I, I, I have to be honest with you. It just scales. I've worked with many of a startup and they all have one thing in common. They have come to the conclusion that the juice is worth the squeeze. So they will sit there and spin up a business. And if they lose it, they lose it. And they will recover because they believe that they've got some quality that will allow them to recover. Sometimes that doesn't happen and they fall back into the working class, but the investor class is sitting there spinning up a business, calculating what the risk is and hiring people. The people that are hired when the business overextends and collapses, the, those people that are in the working class suffer the most unless they have been planning for something to befall them negatively all their entire life. And people rarely do that. So these big businesses spin up, try a project, it works or fails, they close it or they continue with another project. But the disparity between the profit side and the working side is so well known that people are starting to unionize because the single, single voice, the unitary voice is not being heard. It's largely being diminished, marginalized, uh, even vilified because you're fighting for, you know, equality and equity in the enterprise, um, literally being told to swim in your own lane. Well, you can't take that abuse anymore and you can't let it happen. You, and you can't just go off somewhere else and, and get a job somewhere else because it's tantamount to endorsing that kind of behavior. So people are unionizing because they're being taken advantage of as human beings. And there's a false equivalence, but we have a historical record of abusing employees. <laughs> um, and it's very few that can just sit there and go, eh, I'll go somewhere else. It, and it, and, and it's a false argument to make that claim. We'll just go somewhere else. Well, no be the change you want to see in the world and fight the abuse stand up to the people that are sitting there saying you're not worth it well i'm damn sure worth it but going somewhere else means a completely different level of stress and friction and whatnot hey i don't usually look at the side articles but it's interesting and i can't necessarily see the dates but several of these relate to other unions yeah, the one earlier about eBay finally having its first worker union in 27 years. Right. Yeah. 
and Sega, Sega and Amazon. And then there's something up at the top. I can't even see what that one is. Um, oh, it's just a general unionized uh, article. Trying to, and union busting has been disabled by a state policy that says if you try and bust the union forms. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yep. Um, people are just burnt out with it. So their filing comes after over 80% of the 18 in-house VFX crew members at Walt Disney Pictures in Los Angeles signed cards demonstrating their desire to unionize, according to a press release by the union. Um, and um, it's unions are forming all over the place. They're popping up like so many microgreens. <laughs> Okay, so I think the stat was more impressive <laughs> as they wrote it because it's basically 14 people, but it still is over 80%. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, if you only heard one part, 80%. It's actually 14 and 4 tenths of a person. <laughs> yeah, and that, that 4 tenths of that last person is really nervous because... <laughs> they have to they maybe have to it cut. means there were 15 but okay <laughs> they have to cut really thin i don't know how you get 80 percent then it says over 80 so i think it's actually 15 people. it's 15 people now you stop that ai accurate and precise to the point <laughs> where we have to slice a human's arm off because they're the 0.14 <laughs> their arm voted for and the other part voted against or That's vice right. versa. Yeah, I get that. That's funny. <laughs> all right. Well, Marvel VFX, now Disney VFX, NLRB unionizing. Well, you know, when everybody is unionized, nobody's unionized. Wait until the CEOs start unionizing. <laughs> that'll be the next trend <laughs> i think that actually there actually is already like a ceo union or something like that or maybe it's just like a it's kind of like a, a ceo magazine where everybody becomes part of a consortium of ceos <laughs> right fighting like for the rights of increasing inequality so the next article is over in uh, hometown daily sec takes first action against an nft project as an unregistered security you know the whole uh, thing we heard it here first mayor watt <laughs> yeah uh, the sec said the nfts issued by impact theory were unlicensed securities the company agreed to cease and desist order agreed to a cease and desist order paid 6.1 million in penalties and agreed to destroy all the nfts in question still in its control soul crushing defeat uh, impact theory impacted by uh, application not theory um, will also eliminate any royalties that it might have received from sales of those nfts on secondary markets this company was decimated well, it had to be. I mean, if their whole model is, I don't know this company specifically, but if they're only about NFTs, this guts everything they've done. This is the most heavy handed and has to have been the most agreeable company in the history of companies. Exactly. I and I don't know, like, is Impact Theory operating like other NFTs? Yeah. Well, let's or look. is this like some egregious example? 
So it raises a lot of questions about NFTs as investments. This is something that I've been talking about since NFTs came into existence. Elizabeth Lopato over at The Verge put this article together. And um, the whole unregistered security aspect of things is that it's an asset, but it's an asset for assets sake. <coughs> it has no inherent value other than the perceived value of the people that are investing in it. <clears throat> So it says today, SEC announced its first enforcement action against NFTs in a case that is settled by Impact Theory, the NFTs issuer. In 2021, the company sold three tiers of NFTs it called Founders Keys. Impact Theory invited potential investors uh, to view the purchase of a key NFT as an investment into the business, stating that investors uh, would profit from their purchases if impact theory was uh, successful in its efforts. Well, because it's a okay. partial ownership of the business, it's a security. It has to right. be registered. And this is where I think this is different than other companies' NFTs. Yeah. Um, because the non-fungible versus fungible aspect of uh, an NFT means that <laughs> it's not supposed to be a proxy value for something else um so when you buy an nft you're buying the nft you can sell the nft it is representative of itself whereas a fungible um asset or security is something that represents something else so this thing was partial ownership of the business which is also referred to as a stock <laughs> um, so right. they were they were actually selling partial ownership with rights to vote or not it doesn't really matter but Without if you're saying any involvement of sec or following probably any of the sec regulations yep which really is pushing the envelope but it pushed the envelope in such a way that it made it a little too obvious that it was pushing the envelope. Um, I have to say, though, I haven't heard of NFTs being used in this way. I've only heard of like the artwork or the video type things. Yeah, me too. Um, or transactional, like you can buy and sell things. Oh, and right. It's part yes. of um, as we're now building out this IP, imagine that you could have gotten in on the Disney when they were doing Steamboat Willie. And that's how we think of the legendary tier in Impact Theory team member set, according to the complaint. That's how we think of the whole first drop, quite frankly. So I'm not sure if the other tiers allowed like voting rights or just partial ownership. Um, but at this point, it doesn't really matter. They, they've pushed the limit and the SEC activated the laws that surround securities and gutted this thing, but they learned quite a bit. And I see no issue other than registering the next level of NFTs as securities. Now, the thing about it is that you get taxed. <laughs> There's a well, price. I was going to say, if they do that, and I agree. It has to be tracked. And there's a lot of other things they need to do associated with that, yeah. which they probably weren't doing either. Yeah. Whoever their attorney was at the beginning probably had to bone up on financial law, fiscal securities law, <laughs> um, because this is a shocking 
recovery for what they did. I mean, normally, you know, historically, you would look at it and go, hey, they made $500 million and their fine was only $6 million. Oh, okay. But this sounds right, like right. they've wiped the slate clean. But I don't know. Well, we don't know. How much do they make from all their NFT sales? Yep. Because they own, what they say is they wiped out the, uh, what, what did they call it? Oh. They uh, wiped out the royalties. From secondary markets, which that could be sizable too. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. We'd have to go and look at the actual history of this, which I might end up doing. Um, but because I'm more interested now on the future of this, NFTs registered as a security would would still be tracked by the company, but the transactions between them nobody knows who it is that owns those nfts you can actually exactly. mask that right so that might be interesting i wonder how this all I plays just out looked at, well i just looked at the sec announcement um mm -hmm. and impact theory sold approximately 30 million dollars of nfts <laughs> that doesn't account for royalties or whatever but so a fifth um, there's of... some more detail but yeah so a fifth of their profits, but it, it acted as a security. So it acted as a share and, and they sold shares at three different tiers. Interesting. By the way, I would really recommend, um, for our listeners going over and reading the statement. And one reason is that they emphasize that this is a new issue and they list quite a few questions about nfts which i think is interesting in and of itself so it's not the standard announcement that just says hey this happened they're basically based on my interpretation without reading the announcement i think what they're basically saying is nfts could be a security if oh, it's absolutely. framed properly um but i think there is a lot going on here and in fact that might be worth its own focus okay well um i'll take a look at it and maybe we can talk about it um later on this week okay let's keep on going next article is over at uh, the hometown daily channel on uh, hometown.com which is also this show um, hawaiian electric takes responsibility for first fire but faults county firefighters that led to me. Don't you think they would have said, like, we're responsible for the fourth fire or whatever? <laughs> Such a silly statement, right? We're responsible well, for I mean, the third it, fire. Didn't everything transpire from the first fire? <laughs> See, I, I just don't know. Um, well, we don't we don't know. They're well, still investigating. But... Once the investigators come out and say this was start, here's the, the starting point. Um, but I titled this segment, the lawsuits are going to be shocking. <laughs> Hawaii's electric utility acknowledged its power lines started a wildfire on Maui, but faulted county firefighters for declaring the blaze contained and leaving the scene, only to have a second wildfire break out nearby and become the deadliest. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of like saying, 
hey, uh, well, you know what? It doesn't even matter. The fault is uh, Hawaii Electric, Hawaiian Electric, because they started the initial fire and the knock-on effect was some ember ended up somewhere else. And if exactly. the subject matter experts believe they put the fire out and left the scene, how are they supposed to know that another brew, another fire brewed up without being told and then returning to the scene? But why didn't they return to the scene really fast and put that one out too? Well, we don't know exactly what happened. Although I read in a separate article, there was an issue about release of water toward the fires but i don't know if that was the first fire etc gotcha. i'm kind of thinking the second fire didn't happen except for the first fire which then means everything points back to hawaii electric yeah the liability it uh, it doesn't really land the same way like strict liability they didn't create the product that led to harm but they created the situation that led to harm so there is liability there Hawaii's electric utility acknowledged Sunday night its power lines started a wildfire on Maui but faulted county firefighters for declaring the blaze contained and leaving the scene, only to have a second wildfire break out nearby and become the deadliest. Uh, Jennifer McDermott and um, Jennifer Sinko Kelleher um, from the AP actually wrote this and it's published on abcnews.go.com. Um, I, I just, I don't get this. The firefighters are the subject matter experts. If they declare something is out, it's in their best interest that the damn thing is out. But if they don't know that it's, you know, throwing embers uh, across town and, and setting something on fire and it's smoldering and nobody reports it, you're kind of up a creek, you know? You just don't have any way of... Well, um, the firefighters don't report the fires, right? They right. respond to the fires. Right. But this was also a period of time where there were hurricane level winds. So, for example, if the fire was out for one minute, I'm just making a silly scenario. Right. And then they said, fire's over, we're all going home. That's probably not reasonable. I don't think that's what happened, but I'm just using that as an example. So here's the, the kicker, um, by taking the, somebody says um, Morgan. Um, so Mike Morgan, an Orlando attorney who's currently on Maui to work on wildfire litigation for his firm, Morgan and Morgan. I wonder which Morgan Mike Morgan is at Morgan and Morgan. Um, said he thinks Hawaiian electric statement was an attempt to shift liability and total responsibility by taking responsibility for the for causing the first fire, then pointing the finger on a fire that started 75 yards away and saying, that's not our fault. We started it, but they should have put it out. I'm not sure how that will hold up. Morgan, who manages complex litigation, said Monday, it's also so premature that there's going to be, uh, there's ongoing investigations. Officials with the um, Bureau of uh, ATF um, and Explosives, ATFE, um, who are investigating the cause and origin of the fire and lawyers involved in the litigation were at a warehouse Monday to inspect electrical equipment taken from the neighborhood where the fire is thought to have originated. The utility took down the burnt poles and removed fallen wires from the site, which... Okay, wait, I didn't know ATF was actually ATFE. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, is that a change? Uh, apparently explosives have gotten to the point where ATF now is added on to ATFE. 
Um, yeah, I've always heard of it referred to as ATF. So. And their website is still ATF, but it does list explosives in their name. Okay, well, the, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Well. So, uh, videos and images analyzed by AP confirm that the wires that started the morning fire were among miles of line that the utility left naked to the weather and often thick foliage despite a recent push by utilities and other wildfire and hurricane prone areas to cover up their lines or bury them. So a lot of high power lines are unshielded. So that's, you hear the buzz and that's because they're completely unshielded. Um, that's why they tell you down power lines, stay the hell away from them because they may look like they're coated in something, but it's usually just dirt and you get close to it and it'll shock the hell out of you, particularly water. If there's any water, it's a conduit for electricity. So stay away from fallen power lines, but power lines will arc when they fall or something falls across two of the lines, it will arc and set something on fire. Um, don't be a dumbass and do anything like force that arc to take place. People die when you do stupid stuff like that. So this basically they showed by saying, yeah, we started the first fire. Every single lawsuit can be substantiated based off of that claim. You're going to, they are going to be gone. They're going to have to well, nationalize absolutely. that grid. And why would they make that statement before the investigations are completed? Right. Why get out in front of it like that? You're not, it doesn't matter who, like if I come over, I, it's so, I, I can't even, I, I can't frame this. You know, if I put salt in my cookie dough and take all of the cookies away, but one and somebody eats it, I'm still responsible for the bad salty cookie dough. It, do, it, it just doesn't matter. The firefighters came and did their job. They can't sit there and scour the entire state of Florida. So embers went even 75 yards away. If nobody spotted it, it's not their fault. But they did spot it. The fire department um, reported additional fires later after the original was supposedly out. If they had seen the fire, they would have put it out. Reporting fires later is they had to have been informed, right? I mean, if it, they were the ones reporting the second fire, according to this article, the fire crew was. Who did they report it to? And then why didn't they do their job and put it out? I don't know. We don't, I mean, it's hard to make sense of the information here. Yeah. This has to be, this has to be miscommunication. And it says residents said the embers from the morning fire had reignited and the fire raced toward downtown Lahaina. True's neighbor, Robert Arcanado recorded video of it spreading at 3 6 PM as large plumes of smoke rise near Lahaina Luna road and are carried downtown by the wind. So every one of the people that recorded something, hopefully called fire crews, um, why anybody would not come back out. I mean, 
we've heard stories of fire sparking back up because it wasn't put out adequately. Um, that's where people get fired. Sure. But well, in the first fire, they declared done in about three hours. So kind of the scenario I mentioned earlier. Interesting. But again, I mean, it could have been a very tiny fire. We don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think that the I think the investigation is the one thing that needs to be completed. And I think that it's really bad for Hawaiian Electric to sit there and say, well, they came out and they left. But the fire isn't our fault. It absolutely is still your fault. Absolutely. What caused the fire? That's the thing. Was it negligence of maintaining the lines? There's no way that they should have shut off the grid because of hurricane force winds um, because people would have been negatively impacted and without any of the policy and procedure in place to maintain the integrity of those people that are at risk, they should have had something else in play like crews staged somewhere to go into action should there be a problem. Well, it's interesting. They talk about the utility poles leaning, and then that's a utility pole was what, according to this article, started the first fire. It snapped. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so my point is like people knew about the dangerous conditions. Now who was responsible for that? I don't know. Yeah. That, and, and there's a whole lot more here because at some point, is it negligence because the pole snapped, but they knew about it or if it was documented, but not knowing about it means that you haven't been doing your maintenance rounds. I mean, there's a lot well, of liability here. Knew about it for a long time and did yep. nothing. I mean, that's going to, that's going to be much more substantial than negligence. Yeah. Potentially. This is going to be a fascinating uh, legal discussion. So get ready, law schools. Let's keep going. Next article's over in Hometown Daily. No, they did not do surgery on a banana over 5G. I'm going to make this one quick. If your mother says she loves you, check it. Um, that's the deck statement for this. I'm not quite sure why, but uh, Neelay Patel uh, is the editor-in-chief editor over at The Verge who wrote this article, apparently. Um, we've all seen this robot of the Da Vinci G robot um, apparently being described as doing uh, 5G uh, surgery. So somebody was doing a, a, a telesurgery uh, remotely over 5G and hyping up the fact that it's just so powerful that you could do surgery, um, at least on a banana. Um, now, this is a fascinating video. You should probably go and check it out. I don't know if I threw this into the chat. No, I did not. Um, well, anyway. Um, but according to Neely Patel over at TheVerge.com, um, 5G was not involved in this. So the video had been an incredible journey. It's been reposted dozens of times across multiple networks, all with the same basic claim. A surgeon in London did surgery over 5G on a banana in California. And such a reliable driver of social video views that it keeps coming back. Product Hunt just posted it this month. According to this article, um, a post on the site formerly known as Twitter from 
Tech Burrito Uno is a great example, and it is a particularly funny example because of the unlinked credit. It now has 15.1 million views, and as with any video that goes viral, lots of other accounts that uncritically chase views also reposted it, sometimes with threads about how it shows the future and why that mean, or what that means to you, why you should definitely sign up for their newsletter, and uh, basically chasing clout, I suppose, is the claim. So once that sort of thing starts happening on the social platforms, the story tends to break out onto the web. So did they or did they not actually use 5G? So the person says, or I should say, Neely Patel says that they sent Dr. Rona. <laughs> Sorry, I, I want to say their first name is Co Rona. Dr. Co Rona? No. Anyway, um, anyway, it's Dr. Rona. I don't know. It's Caius. Um, a message on Instagram. Close. Uh, yeah, very close. Dangerously close. Um, it's almost like this whole video will go viral for me being a smartass. Um, I emailed the contact address on their website and called the office enough times to make the very kind receptionist say, it's about that banana video again. Uh, to someone sitting next to her and i cannot tell you how excited i was when dr rona emailed back and agreed to a short interview so da, da, da. they did the surgery on the banana but it wasn't over 5g they saw that the someone had posted the video and it's some surgeon in new york performing an operation on someone in london and they were like wait what is this um they commented, this is not true. This is my video. So yeah, it's false. The procedure was done in Los Angeles. The banana was in Los Angeles. So the whole damn thing was made up. Marketing. Trust, but verify. I think it's interesting, though, as to why the video was made. It was to keep up surgical skills during the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I know of uh, quite a few doctors who uh, would regularly go and get supplies to learn how to do various types of surgeries. Um, so I'm not surprised that somebody would do this. I think it's actually great that they were doing it on a banana. Um, but it showed that they were honing their skills. I think a lot of people um, in the industry do this, I should say, in the sector of surgery. Um, so pretty neat. Um, at the very end of the article, um, Neely Patel says, anyway, there you have it. They did the surgery on a grape. They did the surgery on a banana. They have done surgery over 5G in China, but my friends, no one's done 5G surgery on a banana. Darn. So, yeah, darn. Now I want to know about, I wanted a video of the 5G China, um, surgery. So I don't think there's a link to that. All right, let's keep on going. We got two more articles. Next article is over in the Law Nerd channel, Maine's top court, a firm suspension of lawyer who asked Stafford to take CLE classes. <laughs> um, I titled this one, Other Duties as Assigned. Amanda <laughs> Robert for the ABA Journal uh, wrote this article, abajournal.com. Uh, the Maine Supreme Court 
a judicial court, sorry, the Maine Supreme Judicial Court, and Maine is in the state of Maine, not the Maine one as in the primary Maine one, uh, has affirmed a one-year suspension of an attorney who asked his assistant to take his continuing legal education classes. <laughs> so wait a second. Somebody a else has taken your classes? Mm. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that person was an attorney, but that doesn't really matter. Like, how are you going to maintain your education if somebody else is doing it for you the job description said other duties as assigned uh, what is wrong with this i'm i'm helping the assistant the, do you want asked... your surgeon having their assistant operate on the banana or do you want the surgeon operating on the banana i did the surgery over 5g <laughs> so solo practitioner Donald F. Brown of Brewer, Maine, had appealed the October 2022 order of Justice Thomas R. McKeon of the Supreme uh, Maine Superior Court, who uh, found that Brown violated the Maine rules of professional conduct and the Maine bar rules. How can you appeal this? You're an idiot who tasked their subordinate, who isn't an attorney and isn't you, to do CLE. According to McKeon's findings, Brown became aware in late February 2020 that he had to complete 12 hours of CLE. Brown signed up for four live seminars that require participants to acknowledge their presence when prompted. That's all it is, too. It really is. Yeah, I'm here. And when you do all of that, you get a code. <laughs> so, uh, but Brown realized that he had scheduling conflicts, so he asked his assistant to sign on to the online classes in his place. Text messages between Brown and his assistant are strong evidence that he asked her to take the courses rather than, or the classes, rather than simply download them for future viewing, McKeon said. McKeon characterized Brown's con uh, request as conduct involving dishonesty, fraud, deceit, and misrepresentation. It truly is. Instead of just downloading it, watching the thing, and getting the code, they task their assistant. Are they not, were they not a paralegal at least? Well, I don't even know what they were. That's not clear because I'm assuming they're not an attorney, but from the terminology. Well, um, yeah. The other I mean, problem is it's a live class. Right. So that would mean even if they were trying to watch it after the fact, that wouldn't cut it. Well, if There's it was an very option. specific rules about like format and, um, and like if you're doing it live you have to actually you have to be live. there live right right yeah um so but it, like it had mentioned um downloading so i didn't know if that was an option for the cle i think the article was trying to show that maybe there weren't mitigating circumstances right right so it says we find no error in the single justice's factual findings regarding count one, which is amply supported by competent record evidence. Yeah. The, but to sit there and try and belabor this, I don't know. Um, they give credit to legal profession blog, which probably is the first, pardon me, the first one to uh, talk about this issue. Um, so uh, thanks to the ABA journal.com for, uh, relaying the legal profession blog discussion um and um, everybody go over to the legal profession blog as well since this is the chain of the continuity between our discussion 
and the source legal profession blog. So thanks legal profession blog. We'll be taking a look at you more often. Um, let's go on to the last article for today. Um, this one I titled, I'm going to let you fly fur, uh, to your destination, but first Southwest airlines flight made a detour to drop off a flight attendant needed on another plane. This is over in hometown daily a Southwest flight from Texas to Missouri made an unscheduled stop in Kansas. The detour allowed a cabin crew needed on another flight to get off. The airline told a uh, view from the wing. Despite the unexpected detour, the flight arrived in Missouri less than an hour late. Well, that's awesome. But when I only fly partially through to my destination, it's a criminal exactly. act. Exactly, that's skip flagging. <laughs> Well, but, this wasn't even a scheduled location. Correct. <laughs> but you can do whatever the hell don't you want. They have to fly, don't they have to file a flight manifest? You can, you can augment that. You can just contact the air traffic control and say, hey, I need to a detour to X location. And they'll, they'll push the planes around to get you fitted in there if they can otherwise they'll say sorry the pattern is full so to speak um find it interesting businessinsider.com reports grace dean is the reporter um here's that flight. what do you think the passengers thought um oh like god i'm landing. going to kansas well right like <laughs> this isn't where my flight's supposed to be headed yeah, Southwest flight from Texas to Missouri made an unprecedented, or sorry, an unscheduled stop in Kansas. Yeah, that's amazing. Only less than an hour late, but uh, still what late. if the connecting flight was 45 <laughs> wow. minutes? Exactly. What if they were flying to a specific event or something? And like when I've said this kind of stuff to people, and they go, well, it it didn't result in anybody being harmed. And I go, That's yeah, not the this issue, time, though. you know, you have policy and procedure. You practice, you dive the plan and plan the dive so that you don't have something that can happen later on. And then you'll say, well, I didn't know it was going to happen. No, dumbass. The reason why we set things up this way is so that you don't have anything unscheduled happen. You go wandering off the path and we have to try and save you and every knock on event. The butterfly effect is real when a plane doesn't reach its destination in time. It says, but data from tracking site FlightAware shows the Boeing 737 stopped off at Wichita to White B. Eisenhower National Airport in Kansas on the way and then landed in Kansas City less than an hour behind schedule. Less than an hour behind schedule. That's okay, cool. isn't there something wrong with the airline system when one flight attendant is enough to disrupt all of the flights, essentially? Yeah. I mean, why were they so short that they had to have somebody from another active flight? One whole, person, not an entire crew. A whole bunch of people got sick, scattered across the entire country, so there wasn't enough people to fill and you don't have it. You can't have redundant. You can't overbook the employee pool, but you can overbook the plane and then 
kick people because you're overbooked, but don't let them skip lag because your prices are, huh? I'm starting to see a flaw here and somewhere around profit margins and for-profit enterprise and greedy bastards all funneling together into this hot mess that we call the airline system. I am so going to get a body cavity check when I take my next flight. <laughs> Flying a pilot or cabin crew to another airport so that they can work um, a flight is known as deadheading. Um, deadheading means something different in the trucking industry, by the way. Um, and it means completely different when you're going to go see a concert. Um, this happens, for example, if a flight attendant calls in sick at the last minute and a replacement must be found to comply with aircraft staffing rules, which is fine. But when you're so paper thin that one person, there isn't any slack in the system, you've got a real problem going. Just the way I see it. The first Southwest flight to land in Wichita aged day is one from St. Louis, Missouri, due at noon. The rerouted flight from Dallas arrived more than three hours before this, making it a better option. So why wasn't somebody else already on that plane? Maybe not for all the people on the plane. Okay. Yeah, exactly. All right, folks. Well, that is it for tonight. Do do do. We walk you all the way back to the main street and hit that welcome sign and get a whole new mash of articles. I'm, we're running low on thumbnails, um, but... I'll, I'll be reactivating these. I've been kind of babysitting what's going on with the thumbnails. Um, that said, go on over to hometown.com, check it out, become a citizen. Um, you get to subscribe to various channels. You can actually click on them and, and look inside all of these channels. Each one of these is intended to be a show. Um, I just haven't really kicked them all off because I keep getting pulled away as mayor of hometown. I just, I have thousands of other people that dictate my comings and goings. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, once you uh, sign up, you can actually swipe these titles left and right to save or ignore. And then they end up in two little lists that get added to this menu option right here and to your citizen um, account menu uh, that drops down once you sign in hopefully you enjoy hometown as much as i enjoy building it and, and using it every single day and uh, there's also the election you can type exclamation point vote in the chat or just go over and look at the past elections there's something like four months worth of past elections um, and, uh, the daily election and of course, hometown Daily's podcast, which I should add podcast to that title where you can go over to pretty much anywhere you catch casted pods, um, and, uh, uh, leave a review and listen and, and whatnot. So thanks again. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI that's going to say good night. Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. True story. See you in a little bit. Bye bye. Man, I love that closing. See you, everybody. <laughs>